Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, in the words of Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to the second episode of Life in the Stocks this week and the 192nd in total. Pretty amazing, isn't it? 192 episodes. There'll be 200 out there in the world by Christmas time. Uh, they're all done. They're all in the can. They're ready to go out two a week every week until Christmas. And joining me today for episode 192 is David Elfson from Megadeth. I think I'm saying the surname correct there. It's spelt funny, Elfson, Elfson. He is the bassist in Megadeth, one of the original band members, part of that classic Rust in Peace era lineup, and uh, a great guy with loads of great stories, and we had a really good chat. You're going to love it. Uh, it's been quite a good run as of late as well. Scott Ian from Anthrax has been on the show, Dave Lombardo from Slayer, Billy Gould from Faith No More, uh, Wayne Kramer from MC5, Rob Halford, from Judas Priest, and then earlier this week, Brian Tatler from Diamond Heads. So we've got a bit of a big four theme running throughout the show as of late as well. And to complete that run, next week on the show, I'll be joined by Michael Alago, who is the A&R guy that signed Metallica to Elektra Records back in the day. He also signed White Zombie. He worked with Cindy Lauper, Nina Simone, The Misfits, Mina Caputo from Life of Agony. Loads of amazing projects. The story of his life is insane. There's a documentary about him on Netflix, which is called Who the Fuck is That Guy, which I recommend watching. He's got a new book out about his life as well, which I've read, and that's great. And I'll be getting into the story of his spectacular life next week on the show but today this week it's all about david ellison from megadeth and we spoke about a week ago now over the phone as we've been doing through lockdown although brian from diamond head was face to face that was the first face to face i'd done since march i believe he's a local guy he's from stourbridge so we met up in birmingham at my friend's studio space birmingham streams did a socially distanced interview there and it felt so good i mean not only is the sound better but just the dynamic and the nature of the conversation is so much more intimate and personal when you're right there with the person but the phoners have served me well this year and it's all thanks to everybody who donates to the podcast via the patreon page that i could afford to buy my very special special Rodecaster Pro desk, which has allowed me to record these high-quality phoners all throughout lockdown. So I want to say a huge thank you to all the Patreon crew for supporting this show, for chipping in every month, helping me keep the lights on and keep this show going. If you want to do the same, you can chip in just £1 a month, and that really does make a huge difference because all those pounds add up. And right now, at the moment, and for the last nine months, that has been my sole source of income this year. So if you want to donate as well, you get all kinds of things in return the higher up the tiers go, uh, the tiers, sorry, from bonus podcasts and archive 
live interviews to DJ mixes, merch bundles. You get early access to the shows without intros or adverts. You get the chance to ask guest questions. You can ask me questions. I do weekly behind-the-scenes podcasts where I talk about each episode, what went on, how I got time with the guest, and all of that. So please do check out the page. Please do give what you can. Please do help support this podcast and help keep things ticking over into 2021. The address is patreon.com forward slash life in the stocks don't forget as well my book is soon to be released uh december the 15th is the new official release date for my first book it's called life in the stocks voracious conversations with musicians and creatives and it is based on conversations from this podcast uh, this is volume one of many more so i went back and looked at the first 12 to 18 months of the show pulled out 35 of my favorite guests from america and canada and uh, just transcribed those interviews took out the highlights presented them in a, a format which tells a new story so each chapter is divided up into themes and topics and we cover everything from childhood to punk rock success booze and drugs politics and religion creative partnerships life and death and so much more and you can pre-order your copy today if you do so today it will arrive in time for christmas as a nice stocking filler for you or indeed a friend or a loved one and you can get the book by going to amazon you can find it on there life in the stocks voracious conversations with musicians and creatives or you can get signed copies from the rare bird website which is the publishing house putting out the book and their website is rarebirdlit.com Com. Do have a look at all the other books on there as well. A lot of rock and roll books, a lot of music books, novels by the likes of Sean Penn, Keith Buckley. I'm amongst very good company. And uh, yeah, they're a great publishing house with many great titles to their name. So have a have a little ganders at the website, rarebirdlit.com. But let's get into my chat with David. Uh, we jumped straight in and talked about sobriety and addiction and boozing and drugging and hell raising and getting clean right from the offset. We spoke about the classic Rust in Peace era lineup and then the string of incredible albums that followed. We talk about the history of the band, the nature of uh, David's relationship with Dave Mustaine, of course, the, the main man in Megadeth. We spoke about Megadeth in a lot of detail, in a lot of detail. Uh, we also spoke about the big four bands, the big four shows, the shared history of all those bands, Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica. We spoke about touring with Judas Priest on the Painkiller Tour. So a lot of synergy and crossover happened at the moment and we spoke all about Ellefson's new record his covers album which is called No Cover um, it's out now and it is a hell of a lot of fun there's loads of great guests on there everybody from Al Jurgensen from Ministry to Satchel from Steel Panther Dave Lombardo who I mentioned a moment ago who's been on the show recently Charlie Benante from Anthrax so a lot of great guests and musicians on the record uh, a killer track listing as well they cover songs by the likes of ACDC Judas Priest Cheap Trick Dead Kennedys, some great songs on there. Really good album, really good fun. And uh, yeah, it's out now. David Ellison, no cover. Check it out. Uh, and check this out. Whilst you're at it, listen to this. Episode 192 of Life in the Stocks with David Ellison from Megadeth. Enjoy the show. Hey Dave, how are you, mate? Hey there, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good, on? man. I'm I'm happy to be talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. We met each other briefly on Zach Wilde's tour bus in Poland in February. Oh, yeah. Um, I, was, I, remember, yeah I, I remember. I was DJing on that tour with them, opening up each show, and you guys came down with some of the, the Death Punch crew. Uh, obviously, you were on tour yep. at the same time as well. And uh, it was fun. Right. It was funny seeing you and Zach geek out over coffee. Obviously, you've both got your own strain um, of coffee. And it's cool how you've got two reformed Hellraisers turned coffee nuts um you know ha healthy happy <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> and shifting some yeah beans. we both we both lived we both lived uh like you know second lives you know um you know when you when you get cleaned up you can enjoy your taste buds come back and you can enjoy the finer things in life like good coffee and i imagine there's that 
still an appetite there to not raise hell and rage, but still, as you say, to like, you know, tantalize the taste buds and not just drink water. And- yeah, exactly. Well, you know, any good speed metal Titan needs to arise to the day with a good, strong cup of coffee, you know, so <laughs> to, me, it, to me, it makes sense, you know. Well, you're also a bona fide hustler, aren't you, Dave? I mean, I've been reading through just your list of endeavors and projects outside of obviously your day job in Megadeth. We'll talk about the new record momentarily as well. But as well as the coffee company, you've got your own label. Um, you've got a film company. Am I right in thinking that as well? Yes, yes, yep, yep, yep. And uh, and you've written and two books. Launched, yeah, I've actually written four now. <laughs> wow, that, that's actually the next one. Is yeah. Well, we just launched the Ellison Book Company which is my book uh, imprint. Um, and the first title that'll be coming out is actually a fictional title that I wrote called Rockstar Hitman. And um, it's, uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like John Grisham. I'm a big fan of him. And of course, you know, he used to be a lawyer. So his most of his books are have some sort of lawyer espionage in them, you know? So I figured since, since I'm a rock and roller, I'll, I'll, I'll start close to home and start writing books you know, fictional titles that are kind of close to my own uh, career path, you know, and things that I know about in, in rock stardom and celebrity and that. So I figured, you know, to make a rock star also be a hitman would be a good place to start. I love it. Well, they say right about what you know, don't they? And so it's taking your real yeah. life experiences, transplanting it into a fictitious world of that kind of comic book yeah. anti-hero. <clears throat> And the two aren't a million miles away, are they? <laughs> kind of John Grisham no, crime spree and, and rock and roll especially when killing is my business and business is good. You know, they <laughs> go hand in hand. <laughs> there you go. It goes back to where it all started. <laughs> it always does, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, you know, when you're, when you're a creative person, you're a creative anyway. But let me ask you this, Dave. Did you yeah. find that when you got sober and you got clean, because they say you've got nothing but time on your hands then, right? Do you find the productivity yeah. levels just go through the roof? Yeah, and it takes a little while. I mean, you know, probably the... the I remember there was a moment as I was getting clean because I got sober off drugs and alcohol literally three weeks before we recorded the Rust in Peace album in March of 1990. And I remember there was a moment somewhere in the weeks preceding that where I was sitting on my couch in my apartment in Studio City, California, and I was just going, man, I don't even know if I want to play music anymore. And, you know, I just sort of having these sort of, you know, doubting moments. And this, this thought hit me. That said, you know, you started playing music when you were a kid, long before you ever tasted a drink or a drug, and and you know, you did this just for the joy of doing it. And that that just thunderbolt moment, you know, really just changed everything for me. You know, and I went, God, you know what? You're right. The drugs and the booze just got in the way. You know, in the beginning, they sort of enhance it, or they give you the illusion that there's an enhancement. Right. But by the end, it's always a boomerang that comes around and cuts you to pieces. You know, so. Um, and I knew better than to get involved in it because I was raised well by good parents on a farm in Minnesota. So, I mean, I certainly knew right from wrong. But, you know, it's one of those things where once you sort of, you know, tap the bottle, you know, once you're in, you're in, you know. And, and so for me, fortunately, I'm one of the lucky few who actually got clean at age 25 and, have, you know, now at age 55, have enjoyed 30 years of a wonderfully clear-headed you know, sober, uh, not only just personal life, but, but career life. And, and it's funny because it's almost like, it's almost like I'm stepping on the gas harder and driving faster and doing more now. Um, because it's, it's almost like the last three decades have been sort of the culmination to build upon in this moment right now. And I think that's why I have such a kind of a wide berth of all these Ellison industries, if you will. Well, congratulations on 30 years, man. That's a huge milestone and a huge achievement. So um, congratulations. and Yeah, thank you. And thank well you. done. Here's to 30 more. Um, so you and Dave, like, were you kind of getting clean around the same time? Were you on the same trajectory in that sense? Or were you just on your own separate paths and did his sobriety come a little later? Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, you know, look, the, 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 the truth of it is, is, um, you know, you know, Dave, you know, put a book out about the rest in peace story. And, and I had a big contribution in that as well as, you know, a lot of the cast of characters who are around the organization at that time. That, but was, the reality that was this of it year is, he put that book out, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was, it was nice, you know, for especially for Dave and I to be able to tell that story, um, you know, through that book, which was cool. But you know, there's obviously many, you know, layers of that of that story as well. And I mean, honestly, what what you know, really the turning point was, you know, after we played uh, Donington Monsters Rock in August 1988, um, I was extremely strung out. Went home to um, go to rehab. Um, and, and, um, you know, we canceled several shows with, uh, with Iron Maiden. There were some other big monsters rock shows in Europe and, and we canceled off and went home, but it took me a year and a half to get clean, you know? And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, that next year and a half of, of, of late 88, 89 into early 90s, you know, was the transition of going deeper and darker down into the depths of addiction. And then finally, in uh, 1990 getting getting clean and you know we had a manager who came in um his name was ron lafitte and he uh he loved megadeth he, he really got dave as an artist he, he had been a tour manager for armored saints back in the day and was getting into management and it worked with rod smallwood for a, for a stretch and you know he just loved megadeth and it was his goal to manage the band and he came to us in a very gentle candor and just said listen you've got the whole world waiting for you you've got the red carpet rolled out but you got to get clean like no one's going to work with you guys until you get clean it, it the tides have shifted in the business of course at that time you know Aerosmith and motley crew and david crosby and all these guys were getting sober you know and, and quite honestly you know it was it was pretty clear it's like either get clean or you die <laughs> you know and yeah. the music industry was no longer going to be throwing millions of dollars at junkie rock stars anymore i mean that those days were over you know and for a brief period doc mcgee managed us um, i really wow, told I didn't us the know same that. thing yeah. And he told us the same thing. He said, listen, you know, we expect our artists to work hard and we're here to make a lot of money. And, um, and if you, you, we don't care how you do it, but if you can't do it, we'll help you get help. And if you don't want the help, then there's the door, you know? And, and he made it very clear. And quite honestly, we couldn't get clean and, and doc had to walk away from us. And, and that just of course sent, sent us down deeper into a hole. And then Ron Lafitte came knocking on the door and, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I give Ron, you know, Ron helped save my life. You know, he single-handedly, I remember one day I came home from the drug dealer and, and I was just in tears and I, and he just said, he looked at me and, and he just said, he goes, listen, David, I will help. I will do, I'll drop everything and help you get clean, but you have to want it. And I said, you know what? I'm ready. I want it. And he, and he did. And he, he got, you know, drug and alcohol counselor and, you know, me and Dave were each meeting with the guy separately. And then we'd have weekly band meetings with him. And, and it was pretty funny because, you know, Marty Friedman joins the band and Marty didn't take any drugs at all. And, you know, Nick partied a little bit. Nick Menza, you know, he's, you know, not nothing crazy at all. And, you know, so here we are. These guys joined the band thinking, the great, we're at Megadeth. And now we have to go to like drug and alcohol counseling meeting as a band, you know, Um <laughs> You know, Marty was like, geez, I just joined the band to play guitar. I wasn't expecting all this, you know, and I'm like, well, look, Megadeth is a real rock and roll band. I mean, we're like the Sex Pistols, man, you know, and it's kind of funny because out of L.A., if you look at Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses and Megadeth, three very different genres, but very similar lifestyles in our, you know, razor's edge, taking it right to the edge of the abyss, you know, type of living. And, you know, it's reflected in the music. It was reflected in the lifestyle. So it's kind of funny that, um, you know, that, that, you know, again, our three bands rose to the you know top of our genres and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, there, there's a, there's sort of a fatal fascination with our bands because of that, because there's this razor's edge living. Well, rock and roll in that purest, rawest form when it's so, you know, exciting and dangerous and unpredictable, um, you know, that is kind of a thing of the past, isn't it, nowadays? Like, not to be down on new music, because there's plenty of great new music around, yeah. but the, the, yeah. nat the nature of the beast has changed, and society's changed, culture's changed, people's attitudes have changed, and that is like a bygone yep. era now, isn't it? It, it 100% is. And, and, and I, you know, it's funny because as I was, you know, and thank God the, the tides were turning because, you know, I was, you know, to me, you know, sobriety was like raining on my punk rock parade. I was just kind of getting going by the late 80s. But, you know, it, it, it was. I mean, it was that was a transitional era right there where where, you know, the industry was, was saying, hey, you know, we're not putting up with this anymore, you know, and it's time for people to get it together. And um, things became more corporate in the business. And and, you know, I, I've managed a young uh, group 
um, you know, who, you know, got under the warp tour and, and, uh, signed over to hopeless records and stuff. And it's interesting, you know, that this younger generation, like they, they, they would, they don't even understand the, the gener the generation that I grew up in. And, um, and you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it is, it's, you know, this, these days it's about vegan and, you know, um, you know, human rights and save the animals, save the planet. You know, there's a whole different rock and roll is about a whole different initiative now than it was back then. And then the truth of it is, despite the lifestyle inside of Megadeth, um, you know, our lyrics never reflected that, you know, our, our lyrics were always of a higher level of a higher thinking of, of, of humanity as well. I mean, everything from set the world afire to, countdown to extinction and you know the things that we wrote about so it's not like we wrote a sex drugs and rock and roll you know narrative in our in our music it's just that we happen to fall into that lifestyle and you know if you look back on it you know the 80s were obviously the formative years for for megadeth sound but it was really the 90s you know from rust and peace countdown euthanasia cryptic writings i mean those were the big big records in 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 a in a very you know prolific season of the band and also a very collaborative season you know that lineup that the fans call the rust and peace lineup you know that that lineup uh was very productive very prolific very collaborative and um you know that 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 decade set the stage for the rest of megadeth's career well a definitive era definitive lineup unstoppable records as well and you mentioned a couple of words there lyrics being a key one and, and punk and for me i'm not just saying this to kiss ass like out of the big four megadeth have always been and will always be my favorite because there's just something about particularly dave uh not to take anything away from the rest of the band but there's something about dave like he's a unique dude forget about the guitar playing even just the the, the phrasing and the cadence of his vocal delivery was always out of step with a lot of other metal bands. His lyrics, as you say, very political, heart on sleeve, <laughs> raw, honest, angry, hilarious, in your face. There was a real punk rock attitude to you guys, and obviously punk and hardcore inspired all of those fresh bands. But you guys, I think, really were that. You know what I mean? You could trace the lineage directly back to angry, political, punk rock with Megadeth. It was always there well, for me in spades. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, a friend pointed out, you know, he said, he goes, it's almost like when Dave was in Metallica, he was just a little too drunk to play those diamond head riffs really clean. And by nature, he created thrash metal yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. by just being a little, little off the rails too just aggressive, you know, one beer too many and just, just lip curled and snarling. And, and that created thrash metal. And I thought about it. I was like, God, you know, you're probably right. I mean, so by the time I met Dave, six weeks after he was out of Metallica in June of 1983, um, you know, the, the die had been cast of, 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 from his work in Metallica and, and certainly his budding celebrity from that band. Um, but, you know, the music that we then set out to create, and especially that, that the, the, the last half of 1983 was a really um, prolific season of songwriting for Dave. And of course I just got into Hollywood. I just met Dave and I, and I signed up and said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll book my star of yours and let's go, you know, and I was young and I had, I had, you know, spent my years in bands through the Midwest and played in jazz band in high school. So, I mean, I was ripe for the picking and I was, you know, I was prepared to have this new band, um, uh, you know, now called Megadeth to be, a platform for for me to just kind of be an open slate and be a blank canvas to create on and you know as dave was you know writing he would always call the bass he'd always call me up to the very front of the band opening a lot of the songs um having a lot of the breaks in the songs be bass driven um and you know being a guy like myself who played in orchestra band as a kid and played in jazz band i understood bigger complexities of songwriting um, that were beyond just that of rock and roll. And as I sat with Dave and we were putting these early songs together in 1983 and early 84, you know, it, it took me, it, it reminded me more of orchestral um, composition than it did of for complexity epic oriented you know that that if you sat back and closed your eyes you could almost visualize megadeth being a soundtrack to a to a visual performance as well I completely. and you know i think 
Yeah, and I think we're one of these bands that, you know, the concept was actually created before the band was created. You know, like, I remember sitting in the apartment, you know, Dave had an upstairs apartment, and me and my buddy Greg was downstairs from, from Dave, and um, on Sycamore Avenue there in Hollywood, which is where we formed the band, and, and, and you know, the dis- there were more discussions about the vision than there were even moments in the rehearsal room uh, rehearsing, you know, and cause some bands come together because it's some blokes. They like each other. They have some fun playing music together and out of it, a band forms. Megadeth was the complete opposite. This was a very architected blueprinted type of vision that then the characters were added to it to basically create, you know, uh, what, what, what the, what the vision was going to be and a very different way of going about putting a band together. A lot of history as well, man. I know you left for a time, but since 1983, you've obviously been, you know, on that path with Dave. Uh, and I mean, like, are you similar characters? Are you different characters? Do you complement each other? And like, I'm trying to picture the two of you because he's obviously, you know, notoriously like a volatile dude. Um, is yeah. Are you a little bit hothead as well? Or do you temper that side of him? No. Not at all. I'm completely the opposite in that respect. And, and again, look, we have the same end game. We have the same end goal. Um, certainly our methods of getting there are very different. And, and, you know, Dave said one time, he goes, look, if we're always going to agree on everything, then one of us is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great attitude. Yeah, in partnership, it's like, look, you know, sometimes you, there, you have to agree to disagree. And you have to challenge each other and push each other. And um, you know, while Dave generally tends to push ahead, sometimes I'm the one that pulls, pulls back a little bit and, and it's a little bit of the yin and the yang, you know? And, um, and that's, you know, so that, that it's funny that we're both named Dave, you know? Yep. Um, in fact, that was one of the first discussions we had is how can we have two Dave's in one band? Like, what are we going to do about this? Cause, and obviously Dave was going to change his name because he was already starting to be, have some fame and notoriety under his own name. You know, my middle name is Warren. So we're like, should we call you War, David War? Like, what are we going to do here? <laughs> so I, I went with David and he went with Dave, you know, and, and that seemed to settle the, settle the dispute of how we were going to make that work in the band. So I've been listening to your record today. I have to be completely honest. Whenever I hear the word covers album, I'm like, oh man, I always go in with a reservation, right? Especially when it's a double album as well. It's like double reservation. Uh, and I loved, I loved this album from start to end, man. I thought it was like faithful renditions for, for the large part, but then there was some really surprising and interesting deviations as well. Solid, uh, amazing song selection, amazing guest list. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about a few of the guests. Uh, I've recently had on Dave Lombardo on the show. Um, I just had Scott Ian on from Anthrax as well. Obviously, you've got Charlie from Anthrax on there. A couple of my old touring buddies as well, Gus G and Russ from Steel Panther. Uh, it sounds like you had a hell of a time making this. Did you do it in lockdown? Was this a lockdown record? we did this was definitely a lockdown record you know the the origin of it um was we had originally scheduled for my ellison lp of original material to come out in october and based on the megadeth touring schedule that was laid out for 2020 you know it was this little window where we could pop it out and and probably toward the end of the year even get out to do a little bit of touring to support uh the next solo record well, obviously, March showed up, the world changed, everything locked down. And we continued to push out two ori- two songs that my Ellison solo band had already recorded. One was a new original song called Simple Truth that we put out back in um, April. And we donated all the income from that, all the proceeds to the Italian Red Cross COVID-19 Relief Fund. Um, part of that is because my band is from Italy, my recording band, right. uh, my guitar player, Andy and our, and our drummer, Paulo. And they got, hit, um, they got hit really they, hard, didn't they? At the start of it they all. Got really bad, really bad. Yeah. And originally, you know, I was going to go over right after Easter. I was going to fly to London where, um, where we mix, um, over at rogue recording there. Our friend Alessio does all of our mixing up there in the Wembley area. So I was, we were going to go over there, finish writing the, the, the record and, Life would be wonderful. Well, you know, again, COVID had different plans. So we, we pushed out Simple Truth in April. In May, we pushed out a cover of the Post Malone song, Over Now, that we had um, already finished. And I think, to, by and large, that sort of sets up the stage for the sound of the Ellison band. Like, what is this? You know, that it's, it's, it's heavy. 
it can be metal. It doesn't have to be. It can be. I kind of prefer it to be kind of categorized as rock because that way it can be heavy rock. It could be lighter. It can, we can do whatever we want. I don't need to be in another thrash band. I'm in the greatest thrash band in the world, which is Megadeth. So I don't need to do more of that somewhere else. Well, that's you know? it. And you um, want to jam out and, Beth. <laughs> and I love that cover yeah, yeah, as well. Love exactly, that song. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, you know, as we moved into June, you know, late May, I went to me and Dirk Rebaron went to Nashville and we cut bass and drum tracks for the new Megadeth album. So we finally got that train out of the station and it felt good to get that moving. Um, and as I came home in early June, my, you know, my partner and singer here, Tom Hazer, we got on the phone and we just said, look, this October solo album thing is, is that it's not going to happen. We just need to push that back into 2021 so we can be realistic about setting it up properly, do some touring and properly support that. So, you know, we just said, look, why don't we do some covers? And, you know, originally, you know, it's like, look, is it a couple of digital downloads? Is it an EP? What is it? And, and I mean, literally within the first couple of phone calls, we had a dozen songs lined out. And I think probably the, the very first one we picked or that I chose was Wasted. Um, Randy recommended Rebel Yell. And then we talked about Holiday in Cambodia. And then, you know, Tom's 10 years younger than me. So I, we always joke, I'm, I'm 70s Kiss. He's 80s Kiss. I'm, I'm 70s, early 80s Judas Priest. He's late 80s Judas Priest, you know? So the, the, the spread of these, you know, some of the earlier stuff, obviously, Sweet, Your Heart Attack, BTO, those are my choices. Some of the things like uh, Tear It Loose by Twisted Sister, Free Will Burning, uh, and, you know, Wasp, um, Love Machine, those are, those are Tom's choices. So I think we got a pretty good spread over about two decades of, of classic material here. And it just sounds like you're having the best time doing it and, and like, you know, playing all these songs which you love by artists which you love with your mates. Uh, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Especially when it's in these it, times it when you're trapped in and it's like you're not getting to tour. It's yeah. like, let's just let's have fun and make a fun record. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of three, sort of three points to this. One, first of all, the song is bigger than any of us. Right, the, the song is bigger than any any guest or musician on this on this record. Right, so we're honoring Sweet and Kiss and you know these these artists. Right, and we're not and we didn't go for the obvious. You know, I mean, I think we went for deep cuts. These are just things that I just naturally chose. You know, and that Tom naturally chose. In fact, Tom's version of Beth isn't even isn't even the Peter Chris version. It's the Eric Carr version from the right, 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 right from that from that record. Right, so. um and, and quite honestly, I kind of stopped listening to Kiss by that point. So I didn't even know Eric Carr did a version of Beth, to be honest. Me, me neither. So, um, right? So, I, so who knew? Um, but, you know, um, so first of all, it was about the song. And even as we were mixing it, um, you know, I was like, listen, we, I don't want to just come in and just heavy metalize these songs. These are, these are great songs. They deserve to be respected, and, and, and obviously we've played them well, we've played them properly, but let's mix them in a way that we can really bring out the, the, really the, the heart and soul of the tune. And then second of all, obviously we want our guests to be featured, um, but this was not put together as an all-star record. This was my band just recording you know, a handful of tunes, which turned out to be 19 <laughs> songs. But this, so that, that's what this was, right? It's, and then as the guests started, we brought the guests in because quite honestly, we've been doing with my David Ellison Youth Music Foundation, which is my nonprofit. Earlier this year, um, with the help of the Grammy Music Education Coalition, we had been doing some live streams and, and intended as a way to just keep our community together. You know, as tours were going away and everybody's lives were getting, you know, sort of dismantled with COVID shutdowns, the live streams helped keep us connected. So quite honestly, the guests you see on here we're already on our speed dial um, from doing some of these live streams and it was easy to reach over to them. And, and because we knew they were, a lot of artists were getting pretty freaking bummed out, man. Like things were shutting down They're they're you know, Charlie, one day Tom was on the phone with Charlie Benante and, and, you know, was trying to figure out how to get anthrax together because they live in three or four different cities and how do we get together and write. And, you know, Tom just said, he goes, listen, dude, why don't you just throw some tracks down in this record me and David are working on and, It'll at least give you, you can at least play drums and have fun. You know, you probably already know the songs, you know? So, yep. you know, just little things like that became a real kind of olive branch to all of us in the community. Um, and, and you're right, Dave Lombardo, you know, Dave doesn't play in a lot of stuff. He's pretty selective about what he plays on. So I was actually very thrilled that he, you know, and he and I have been good friends for years, but it was, I was just glad that he, 
you know, agreed to do it. And, and we're now putting together a video for Riff Raff. And, um, Amazing. So it'll be, it'll be great to have us all together. Yeah. I want to chat to you about Al in a minute and your cheap trick cover talking about videos. But whilst yeah. we're still in the sort of Charlie Dave world, um, when you when you rejoin Megadeth and you go out and you do those huge big four shows, I have to ask you because I completely dropped the ball and forgot to ask both Dave and Scott. Have you got any fun tour stories and memories from those huge shows and the Sonosphere dates and traveling around the world after all those years for the first time, all four <clears throat> bands, like any happy, funny memories spring to mind from that experience and that time? Honestly, they were all great memories. I mean, that was such a big shot heard around the world. And, you know, for Metallica to sort of come down off of their mighty throne that they've been, you know, that they, that they sit on, um, to come back and say, Hey, you know, let's do this. Um, and I, it's funny, I'd actually kind of gotten word about it earlier in 2009. I was over playing, um, uh, base for Tim Ripper Owens at download. Um, and, and, and the agents, uh, who put it together, who I've been dear friends with and at one point was Megadeth's agent. He had mentioned something to me about it. And I was, and I just kind of was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> who knows? It, you know, it, it, it's a great idea. We'll see. And, and the fact that it became a reality, you know, less than a year later was, I was like, wow, this is, this is super cool, you know? And, and, um, you know, I think it was a moment where Metallica kind of needed to get the, the metal cred back again. You know, they, they're, they're so big and they've been able to go explore so many different things. And I like, I think Scott Ian's quote, you know, they said, you know, it's like we're all four brothers, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. But one of us went off to college and became Microsoft. And of course, that's Metallica. You know, yep, they, yep. they, they, you know, they, and, and, and I mean, how proud for us in heavy metal to have one of our brothers, you know, sit at the top of the throne next to the Rolling Stones and you too. And, and I mean, the biggest of the biggest of the biggest, I mean, we're, you know, we're so blessed in, in heavy metal to have one of our alumni sitting in that echelon because it, it just, it just opens the doors for all the rest of us to do so much stuff. And, and I think the funny thing is, is that, you know, the Metallica guys were, were having, they were having the time of their lives. You know, I mean, I remember right as we were all walk, going to the stage to do our set in, in, in the, that first show in Warsaw, Poland, you know, James was out there cheering us on, like, kind of like, go guys. Yeah, go get them. You know, like, like he was our cheerleader, you know, like excited yeah. to be out there and, 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 um, you know, and then a couple of days later, they extend the invitation for us to jump on stage and play Am I Evil in, in Sofia, Bulgaria, where we were going to be filming this event for the whole world to see it. And, um, you know, and everybody was just giddy. We were like little kids, you know, it was like, it was, it was like I tell you what, it was, felt like high school battle of the band. Like, oh, my God, we're all going to play together. This would be great, you know. And and it, it, it really, I think in a lot of ways, it really brought back the true fun and joy of, of our scene of our genre. It brought back the feeling that I had in 1983, 84, when we were first going to San Francisco and debuting Megadeth and, you know, the Exodus guys would come out, um, James and Kirk and Cliff would, you know, and Lars would come down to the Megadeth shows to see Dave and see us and hang out. And, and the whole scene was a hang, you know what I mean? There were no, there were no lines between us. It was all just a big hang. And that's exactly what it felt like with the big four. And I think that that camaraderie between all of us was just absolutely incredible. I just had Brian Tatler on the show last week as well. And he was talking about when he got up to jam with you guys as well. And he was saying for him, like, you know, he'd never seen crowds like that. And he was like, oh, my God, this is yeah. amazing. And they've chosen my song <clears throat> out of all the songs in the world. It's amazing. Well, and when James introduced him, I remember that was at uh, Nebworth, I think, right? Yeah, and yeah, James yeah. introduced him. He he said, he goes, you know, a lot of you people may not know who this man is, but this man single-handedly is the reason why we're all on this stage together. And I was like, God, man, I just got goosebumps. I was just like, Jesus, he, he is so right, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, all of us, you know, we're, we're one person off the stage, you know, and, and it's funny, the, the, like the harder the metal band, usually kind of the more gentle and nice people are off the stage, right? Yeah. And then you get on stage and everybody puts their game face on and it's like being in a freaking football or a hockey match, you know, I mean, we're out for blood and we're ready to kill, you know? So it was interesting for all of us to be buddies backstage and catering and hanging out. And then we get on stage and we all got our freaking metal game faces on and, and, and we're just bringing our A game, you know, and, and it was, it was just to feel the 
intensity and the power on that stage with all of us there, man. It was just this unstoppable force. And you can, I'm buddy, I'm looking at a big four double platinum award plaque on my wall right now, you know, and to see that crowd out there and there, the, the crowd was just so happy. I mean, every headbanger could die and go to heaven happily after those shows. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How big and, and, and powerful and wild were the Clash of the Titan shows? And, and was the Big Four reunion all those years later? Was you know, Could you ever have imagined that, you know, all that time later it would have been still like the thing that it is? Because those Clash of the Titan well, shows were big at the time, right? But like I imagine nothing compared yeah. to the Big Four ones. Well, so the, so Metallica and, or I'm sorry, Slayer and Megadeth had kind of, had, we had pretty much grown up together. I mean, Carrie, look, Carrie King played guitar for Megadeth in our very first five uh, debut shows back in early 84. And it, him going to San Francisco, because Dave was his hero, and he'll tell you this. He said, man, I saw Dave play with Metallica at the Whiskey and uh, in Hollywood opening for Saxon. He goes, watch you, Dave, change my life. And so Dave is, is his hero uh, from that moment. And, um, so he plays with Megadeth. We go to San Francisco and Carrie sees a whole, he sees this scene, this whole different thrash metal scene up in the Bay area and very different from LA, totally different feel, um, from the sunset strip kind of hairband, you know, motif going on down in LA. So, and, and fans started asking Carrie, go, dude, what's going on with Slayer? When's, when's the Slayer album coming out? And, and I think Carrie saw the light and he saw the Holy Grail going, wow. Okay. And so he went back to LA, wiped the makeup off Slayer, changed, you know, modified their, their look uh, a little bit. And they I probably sped their music up because, you know, Carrie's favorite drummer was Tom Hunting from Exodus. And, 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 and I think quite honestly, Exodus was probably one of the bigger influences for Carrie uh, going on those Megadeth trips. And, and so, you know, as a result, as much as Carrie didn't stay in Megadeth, Slayer became a real contender from that, you know, and, yeah. and Carrie, Carrie saw the light, you know? So now we had, now we had four bands because obviously Anthrax was doing their own thing and Metallica and Dave, they were friends with Anthrax. Anthrax kind of took them in when, when they made their trip out to, out to, you know, to meet Johnny Z and Megaforce in, in 1983. So now there's these four bands and we're really all percolating and, and doing our own thing, you know, but, um, and inspiring each you know, other, right? I mean, Metallica was, was by far leading the charge. I mean, they, they, they really had the, the gusto. But, you know, so, so Slayer and Megadeth, we ended up going in, in late 85. I remember we flew to, uh, I think it was even late 84, actually. I forgot what it was, 84, 85. We flew out to Los, or to New York and we played Labors. Uh, we played another show in New Jersey together. So we would do a lot of shows together. So fast forward here to 1990. And our manager, Ron, comes in and, and says, hey, we're talking to Slayer management, and we're talking about doing this double billing, and we're going to call it, you know. Um, and I think Dave came up with the name Clash of the Titans. I, I think that was his idea. And and the name was available. We didn't get any grief from the movie studio or anything <laughs> over it. Um, 
uh, and we couldn't use it again in 2010, by the way, when I came back into the band. It was either 2010 or 11. I remember we all three of our Megadeth Slayer Anthrax were touring again. And it was under the Jagermeister Music Tour brand. And we couldn't use Clash of the Titans because I think at that point there was a legal conflict with the name. Um, but so 1990, we decided to go out and do it. And, um, and it was interesting because we had two pretty pivotal records, obviously, Rest in Peace for Megadeth. And I think it was, was it Seasons in the Abyss, I think, for Slayer. Yeah. Um, which, ironically, is, I think is probably my favorite Slayer record out of all the stuff they've ever done. That's just the one that seemed to impact me the most. And, um, you know, we go out and, and so the combined forces allows us to go play the arenas. And of course, Metallica now on their own, they were doing sometimes two or three nights in the arenas. I mean, that's how big they were, you know, but, um, you know, Metallica's thrust obviously broke all these doors down for us to, to be able to do this. And then, you you know, fast forward uh, into summer 99, summer 91, and now it's Slayer, Megadeth Anthrax, and we're able to do the arenas and the amphitheaters in North America. And, you know, but one thing that happened from that, um, you know, and, and so, so a couple of things. One, obviously Metallica was just clearly, you know, they were just on their own, just amazing trajectory, you know, unstoppable force that they were. And, you know, so it took the combined forces of the other three of us to be able to do what Metallica was able to do on their own. And, um, but still we, you could really see this was the pinnacle of thrash metal. And that's why when we were on Clash of the Titans in 91, you know, we were starting to write music for what would become Countdown to Extinction. And there started to be this real collective mindset inside of Megadeth with, with our manager, Ron, and the four band members going, okay, we have got to now really take Megadeth to the next level. We can do it. We've got the musicality. We've got the musicianship and the songwriting ability and the band to do it. And, and now is our chance. Of course, Queensryche was doing well. And while they were a thrash band, you know, they took a, a pretty cool, heavy rock sound and, and had expanded it, you know, pretty, pretty dramatically into the mainstream with MTV and everything. So, you know, the opportunity was there for us to, 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 to you know, go grab the ring, you know, and, and I think we did, you know, we really buckled down on the countdown record and we, we thought, okay, look, we don't want to abandon our thrash roots. So let's go expand beyond it and see where we can go with it. And I think we really hit the sweet spot with that record of the best of the best of what Megadeth was able to do at that time. An amazing record and still sounds incredible to this day. And that was the record I came in on. And then you go back and you hear the early stuff and just such a great catalog. Uh, and, and, you know, your most recent run, like from 13 on since you've been back as well, I've been mm -hmm. loving all the records you've been putting out and, just so inspiring to see that all these years later, you know, it's still like as potent and creative and, and obviously you'll be back next year. If things go ahead, so you'll be a download, um, which will be good. Uh, I want to ask you about Al. Right. I want to ask you about Al Jurgensen. That guy for me is just yeah. a larger than life mystical character. Um, I mean, is he straight now or does he still cut loose? What's the deal with Al? <laughs> no, he's he's look he's been off the heroin and everything i think he said for like 17 years um and you know it's funny because when we were on i discovered ministry back on the rust and peace tour and right i remember we were listening like stigmata and you know the mind is a terrible thing to taste and those that you know that record in particular we would listen to that that was our house music before we went on stage we'd listen to it backstage in the dressing room um and uh, you know being sober I, I could appreciate the sort of dark, the sort of heroin darkness that was around ministry. You know, I could appreciate it. And I loved what I loved about ministry is that it had this metal quality about it. Yet it had obviously the industrial thing. And I loved the repetition of the riffs and the loops and all the stuff that, that Al did with it. And I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I thought Laura, he was, Al was just this larger than life guy and, and sitting in the room with him, you know, I almost toured with him back in 2007 or eight. Um, they had reached out to me and unfortunately I was, I was running global artist relations for PD at the time. And it just wasn't, it just kind of was a conflict for me to be gone that amount of time on, on tour. So I wasn't able to do it, but that's when I, I flew out and hung out with Al and, and, his, and his crew out in uh, El Paso and we became buddies and have stayed friends ever since. And he just came through town uh, just this last year. So I went down to go see him. And Al looked great. He was very clear-eyed. He looked great. He's funny. You know, Al's funny as hell. He's, he's got I'll a bet. very funny sense of humor. And, um, 
you know, just stand on the side of the stage and just kind of, you know, be really a, 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 a near bystander to the, to the ministry operation. It was really a treat, you know, as a, as a fan, as much as anything and, and a friend to him. And so when the Alviterzane thing came up, you know, Tom and I were, I think he suggested, he goes, man, he goes, he goes, how fucking cool would it be to get Al Jorgensen? I said, you know, I, I'm buddies with Al. Let me, let me hit him. And so I, you know, I went to his organization and, and, and we, we made it work. And I, I went over to his house. I was actually in LA in July working on another record. Um, and I, we set it up and I went over there and, you know, obviously we, you know, made sure everybody was COVID friendly, you know, and, and sat and just plugged in and did, did some, you know, did some, uh, we kind of had guitars in hands and just did some writing and goofed off and did some playing. And, and, um, you know, Al said, he goes, man, I love your version of Bob Peterson. He goes, honestly, I don't know what more I can add to it. Like Tom's singing his ass off on it. And I said, well, like do what you do, you know, like just do your thing. And, and he's good friends with the cheat trick guys. So, you know, he sent a, he sent a picture of, we did a little selfie and he sent it over to Robin Zander right, right away. And love it. So we got the thumbs up, thumbs up from cheat trick, you know, and, and it's so cool because now as we put the video out and recorded yeah, the track yeah. and it became a, a, a single, you know, Rick Nielsen has now reshared it off of his Instagram account. So it's just, and Dax hit me, you know, Rick's son who plays drums and cheat trick. He yep. hit me and he said, man, I love, I love the song. So, it's, you know, that's one of the things with this cover record is I knew as much as these guys were my heroes growing up and I'm covering their songs. We're also contemporaries and we share the same stages now as, as, as professionals. And I, I, part of me, I'm going, okay, look, I know KK Downing, I'm going to send him free will burning. Um, Brian May and Roger are going to hear Sheer Heart Attack and obviously Cheap Trick heard Al Vietersing. So it's like, I want these songs to be freaking great. You know, I want, I want, I want my heroes to be proud of what we did to honor them. I just had Rob on the show as well. It's all tying together really nicely this year as we come towards the end of it. And, and I was reading earlier today, mm-hmm. you guys got to open up for Priest on the Painkiller Tour. And that record mm-hmm. is, that record is such a monster. Um, how much fun did you have doing that cycle? What album were you guys on? Were you on Countdown there on Painkiller? That was Rust in Peace, actually. Rust right. in Peace had just come out. We had done the European Clash of the Titans with Slayer, Megadeth, Testament, Suicidal Tendencies. Then we came right over here to North America, and we did like three months uh, with priests all across Canada, USA. We went down and did Rock and Rio in February. So we were out with priests for god three four months on that and, and that, that's just stadium, you know, that, stadiums galore is it yeah you know all the big coliseums and sports arenas and hockey arenas and yeah then the macarena stadium of course hundred forty thousand people at rock and rio and wow. um, you know judas priest is judas priest is a pivotal band for me i mean when i when i heard unleashed in the east i was probably 16 years old and that was a sound that changed my life um i, I would say uh, certainly the Def Leppard uh, on through the night record for sure, which is why we, you know, honored, you know, we, we covered the cover as we say, you know, with the cover of, of uh, the no cover record yep. and, and honoring of course the song wasted. But then when it's I heard incredible it, East, it was, yeah, it's, it, you know, priest just took it to another level. I mean, the guitar tone, Rob singing, uh, the bass playing, the double bass, you know, coming out of the gate with Exciter. I mean, every component of Judas Priest was just next level. I'd never heard anything like that, you know. And so these guys were my heroes, you know. And so to, to be on tour with them, sharing their stage um, night after night, uh, you know, and clearly we're the, we're the next, you know, we're the next big kahuna, you know, we're the next big thing coming right up behind, uh, you know, Judas Priest. And to become friends with them, you know, and to, and to just be, you know, to get to know them as gentlemen. And, and that's where me and KK became buddies. And uh, so as we reconnected last year and shared the stage at KK Steel Mill for that one-off show that we did, it was just so fun to, um, you know, to just be, you know, re- reconnect our friendship and, and have, you know, get on stage and play some tunes together again. I mean, you know, I think, I think at this point in life, man, it, it, that's what it's about. I mean, they call it playing music. You know, and as much as these, you know, these, these are careers and you got to work hard at it. And there's all these things that go into a, you know, to a career, you know, at some point you step back and you go, man, am I having any fun here or not? You know, because if you're not having any fun, it's a, it's kind of a shitty job with a lot of long hours and a lot of time away from home, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, you know, 
to me, I've always sort of checked in with myself, you know, as I'm flying, you know, in first class to Europe to start another tour going, okay, am I having fun? Because I'm really living the dream right now. This is it. I'm doing it right now. And if I'm not having fun, I really got to get my head together and, 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 and check my head at the door here and not lose the plot because it happens to all of us. You know, we're out there, you know, just pounding it so hard year after year, album after album, tour after tour. And you can, you can lose the joy, you know, and I always, and I think things like this, no cover record in a lot of ways, this is me coming full circle, going back to going, okay, take me back to 10 year old David Ellison. When I heard sweet and kiss and Bachman Turner overdrive on the school bus radio Am I still in love with playing the bass and rock and roll today as much as I was then? And and happily, I can say the answer is yes. And what about ACDC? Have you had the thumbs up of approval from them? And I love that you've gone with what I think is just one of their finest songs. You never really get as celebrated or heard as much as you should. Power Age for me is my favorite ACDC record. I fucking love it. Uh, and Riff Raff is just a monster. It's just a monster of a song. You've done a great version of it on the record. Have you heard back from them yet? Do they dig it? I have not. I have not. And, and, you know, having done some touring with ACDC back in 2001, I know they run a very closed, tight knit uh, operation. And, and it was very, it was very revealing to us. Um, Dave and I were asking their tour manager, you know, kind of how they run their operation. And they said, listen, man, we're a, you know, we're a very big band, but we're a very small tight knit organization and family. And, you know, we don't, you don't hear too much drama about ACDC. We're not tabloid uh, cover boys. You know, we keep our personal lives personal. We don't put all that out there. And I, I really, I found that very commendable, you know, that, that they, that they run their operation like that. Um, because so much of what happens in the world, especially with social media, you've got to tell everybody what coffee you had and what you ate for breakfast and, you know, in order to stay relevant. And, and I really commended um, a band like ACDC to be so tight knit. So I don't know if I'll hear from them. Hopefully they'll hear the song. Um, and I certainly love the new ACDC track that I heard, and I'm definitely looking forward to their new album next next week. Oh, man, power up. I can't wait. There's a few nice surprises arriving towards the end of the year that, you know, might save 2020 yeah. yet. <laughs> and that that's one of yeah. them. I love less. You mentioned the cover in passing a moment ago. I just have to commend the cover of this record. Um, it's just so it's it's so funny uh, and hopefully it's done with a massive uh, you know wink and a nudge because it is just it's a beautiful representation of what you know the record is which is as you said it's about reconnecting to the sense of fun and joy and playing music and I'd love to know the Def Leppard dude's response to that. I bet they would love it, wouldn't they? I bet they love it. I, I, I hope they do. I mean, I hope they, uh, you know, Phil Collin and I are both Jackson Guitars uh, in Dorsey's. And, uh, um, you know, it's funny. I played bass for Ronnie Montrose. Jimmy DeGrasso called me one day and said, hey, we need a bass player. We're going to go do some shows opening for Def Leppard. And I suggested to Ronnie that you would be a good fit on bass, you know? And I, and I said, Oh man, I freaking love that first Montrose album. So I ended up doing it. And I played with Ronnie and Jimmy for about two years in the Montrose band. And it was so fun to go to uh, the first show was in Jacksonville uh, with Def Leppard and um, Joe and Phil came into the dressing room and they were just such fanboys of, of Ronnie and here I am, I'm a huge fanboy, not only of Ronnie, but also of Def Leppard, you know? So there's like three generations of just like rock fanboyism happening in the dressing room right there. And the Def Leppard guys were on the side of the stage watching us do the Montrose set, you know, like kids, you know, like going, watching their hero, Ronnie, play on their stage. And uh, and and so it, it's so great to have those moments, you know? And the Def the Leppard guys are just so cool. And, and yeah, I hope they, I hope they, you know, obviously, like you said, a, a wink and a nod, because that's what it is. That that's we we did a recreation of it because it just it, I just wanted to honor them and especially that record of just that that is a game changer not only for me but you know for Frank Hannon from Tesla who played guitar on that song and everybody who who has been on this record they're like oh my god wasted that is the song from Beth Leopard like that's the one we all played in our cover bands when we were teenagers so I I think we hit a real sweet spot and and as big as Def Leppard is in, in a sort of more kind of pop rock setting you know there's this other side of the early days of Def Leppard where they they really changed a lot of our lives and, and they're the reason that a lot of us are, are doing what we do today playing rock and roll 
and they rock, don't they, man? Those early records still rock. Yeah, they, they're amazing. I mean, you know, I finally got to see them play um, uh, on the High and Dry tour. They opened for Blackfoot. Uh, they came to Minneapolis, where I saw a lot of shows as a, as a kid. And, and it's funny, you know, Rick Savage is a bass player that I don't, uh, I don't give him enough credit and recognition as an influence to me. Um, just his style, how he looks, how he plays. He's a great singer. Um, you know, quite honestly, Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick and Rick Savage from Def Leppard are two massive influences to me. Um, and just their style and, and how they play, how they look, you know, because let's face it, it's rock and roll, man. We listen with our eyes too. You know, the presentation of rock and roll is just as important as the sound of rock and roll. On the subject of loving pastiches and cover bands and all of these things we're talking about, we have to mention as we approach the end of the conversation, Russ from Steel Panther, better known to the world as Satchel, because that dude, I've toured with them, I've watched him up close every night, and they're obviously known as like a comedic joke band, but that dude is one of the most incredibly gifted guitarists I've ever seen. He is shit hot, isn't he? He's amazing. Russ is one of the greatest guitar players in the world, hands down, period. And, you know, it's it's funny when we... I was literally sitting where I'm at in my office right now where I'm doing this interview with you. And out of nowhere, across my phone, I get a notification from YouTube. It says, check out F5 nailed to the gun. Now, F5 was a band that I had back in the 2000s in the couple of years that I wasn't playing in Megadeth. <clears throat> and we did a cover of nailed to the gun and I had Jimmy DeGrasso play drums on it. So I, we're literally putting the songs together for this no cover record. And I, I, I stopped and I called Tom and go, dude, we got to do Nail to the Gun. He's like, oh my God, I love that song. And and I said, you know, Rob already sort of gave me the thumbs up from the F5 version. He, he was, you know, he was happy that we covered that. And and um, and right away, Tom goes, we'll just do it. We got to get Russ Parrish to play guitar. He was in fight. I said, oh my God, you're right. He was. And, you know, it's funny. Russ had just played on the Altitudes and Attitude record for me and Frank Bello. I had a bass instrumental song called Leviathan. And it was just a bass riff. And and uh, our producer, Jay Rustin, he said, let me hear Russ. Let's have him put something down. And dude, he put down a guitar part on that thing that sounds like something monumental, like off the first Michael Schenker record. You know, I mean, yeah. just mind-blowing. Nylon string and then all these electric parts that he put down. And I, and I you know, they're funny. The Steel Panther guys came to our show in Oslo back in January when we were over there with Five Finger. And um, it was just so great to hang with those guys. And, and, and I've seen them, of course, but to just hang with them and get some, get some face time with them. And Russ is just such a, just a great guy. And, and, and I agree, man. He is, he is truly one of the greatest guitar players on the planet right now. And, and just so honored anytime I get to, to work with him. And funny, he kind of got to cover himself by <laughs> playing his solo on the No Cover record. <laughs> He's like, yes, I've been working my whole life for this. <laughs> I'm, no, now, I'm, I'm now the band they cover. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, thanks so much, man. This has been a great chat. I've really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the records and uh i appreciate all the stories and i'm looking i'm going to get stuck into which would you recommend out of the two sort of autobiographical books that you did should i start with the first one go in on that first yeah start with that one because it, it's funny the prologue starts at donnington in 1988 and right. uh especially for you being in the uk and you know it's funny every time we come back to play download i stand on that stage and you know as a sober guy you know part of my amends to the fans and the Megadeth is, you know, don't take drugs anymore. You know, like shoot up, show up, don't cancel shows, be there, you know? And I stand on that stage at Donington every, every time we play there. And it's sort of a, it's a trip down memory lane, you know, and I get to kind of revisit my past when I was at absolutely my lowest point in my life and my career, you know, strung out on drugs, stealing my dream and stealing everything from, from us and then I get to stand on that stage victorious in front of 85,000 people again and just go you know what thank you God for another day you know and it's just a really cool thing so download is always a kind of a, a really victorious home sweet home for me amazing well I'll bust through that and I'll come find you a download next year and I'll come say hello and and yeah we'll, we'll have a little face-to-face hi and um 
all the best with the rest of this year. Keep busy. I know you will. Yep. And thanks again yep. for giving up your time and coming on the show. It's been a treat. Thanks, Matt. See you, man. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 